It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back, friends. Doug Lamarie's here with another daily Buckeye Talk from the Rose Bowl. Sitting in the media room, everybody else is out enjoying Los Angeles, and I'm enjoying talking to you people. And I am, for real. I actually am going to go to the Lakers Clippers game tonight. Uh, with my daughter, my family is here. They're going home tomorrow. My daughter is a huge uh, NBA fan in general. She likes the NBA and college football, not the NFL, not college basketball. So the media hotel we're in is like across the street from the Staples Center. So while we are going, my daughter and I, my 14-year-old daughter and I, to see the Lakers and the Clippers. And, of course, there's no LeBron because his groin exploded. But you know what? If your groin explodes, you got to take care of your groin. So... We will enjoy the game anyway, but we're going to keep this a little shorter than the last one. I was going to do half an hour. I did 50 minutes last night, and I don't know why. Wait, I do know why. It's because I love the sound of my own voice. All right. There's not as much to report today. And I think what I should do every day on these podcasts is sort of give you a rundown of what happened at the Rose Bowl with Ohio State and then get into your questions. But not much happened today because for some reason there were no interviews today. And I, and I don't know why. Um, it's not a weekend. It's not. I just there's no interviews. So Thursday we talked to Ohio State defense, Washington offense. Saturday we'll talk to Ohio State offense, Washington defense. Sunday we get the entire two deep for both teams. That should include Tate Martell, and everyone is going to pounce on him like crazy. Um, and then the day before the game on Monday we'll get head coaches Urban Meyer and Chris Peterson. But today we did not talk to people, but we did go to Ohio State practice. And Nick Bosa was there. And I'll be curious. I just wrote a Nick Bosa story. I did a, a video of Nick Bosa standing there. Um, I'm curious to see how many people read it because I'm, I'm curious like what Ohio State fans think of, of Nick Bosa at the moment. And like, do they still care about him? Or, or is there a great degree of Ohio State fans that, that more feel like, hey, Nick Bosa, Nick Bosa quit on the Buckeyes, and so I don't care about him anymore. Um, I don't want to get into that too much because, you know, that sort of is over. I did write a story 
on the idea of whether Nick Bosa, if Nick Bosa had been healthy all year, would would be would we be getting ready for an Ohio State playoff game or not? Um, I decided in the end probably kind of no because I think the Purdue game was about more than just Nick Bosa. A lot of those teams, they get the ball out quick. They can kind of take away a defensive end to some degree. But I do think the thing that Urban Meyer talked about a couple weeks ago and that sort of showed up with the way people reacted to Nick Bosa today is that this guy I think was much more of a heartbeat of the team kind of guy uh, than I think anyone realized. And I think it was more so than Joey. I think his personality sort of lent itself to that more than Joey. And they missed him. They missed him. I, I really think he would have been a leader on this team more than anybody expected. Yes, he was a captain, but I think there was more to Nick Bosa off the field than we realized, than Ohio State realized, and maybe he would have helped them in some of the close wins. The way the, the Purdue game kind of got away at the end, maybe he would have helped them sort of stay in it a little bit. Maybe that would have helped with the committee. I don't know that Nick Bosa would have meant that Ohio State would have beaten Purdue. But I think I think he would have made them a more consistent team during the year. And a thing that came up a lot with the committee when they talked about Ohio State was the inconsistency of Ohio State. So that's Nick Bosa. You can go read about it at Cleveland.com. Um, other than that, Ohio State practiced again today. Thayer Munford's still out. It does not look like he's going to play. Maybe he's going to make a miraculous recovery. <clears throat> it does not seem like he's going to play. And that will be some issue, certainly at left tackle. He started all 13 games this year as a true sophomore. <coughs> I thought the line played very well late in the season, especially against Michigan. So um, that will matter. But Austin Mack is out there doing a little bit, running around to some degree. I certainly don't think there's any reason to expect Austin Mack to be out there in the game. <coughs> Man, I was doing better. And I'm having an attack. I don't think we should expect Austin back in the game. Who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll know a little more as we get closer. We'll know more in two days when we get to talk to people. You can hear my cough drops crunch, crunching the background. But we want to get um, to what's going on with the Buckeyes, to your questions. Again, Just I, not a lot happened today. There was not a lot of news today other than Nick both is showing up at practice. But we didn't really get to talk to anybody other than the legendary Tim May from the Columbus Dispatch who I'm glad he's freaking retiring. I told him to retire and get out of here. We all take a shuttle bus out there because we're in downtown LA and everything's kind of far away and it's expensive to rent a car and it's expensive to park. But they have shuttles to take you where you need to go. So we took a shuttle bus to Ohio State's practice. It takes about 20 minutes to get there. Tim May drives. Tim May has a rental car for some reason because he's a legend and he drives Nick Bosa shows up at practice. We can only watch the first 15 minutes of practice, and the shuttle bus leaves. So we leave. We have to leave and get on the shuttle bus. While they're still practicing, Tim May, in his rental car, waits it out. And when practice is over and Nick Bosa goes back to his car, Tim May ambushes him in the parking lot. So Tim May has a video of Nick Bosa talking about things that uh, I embedded in my story at Cleveland.com. You can find, also, find that also on YouTube with the Columbus Dispatch. Credit to Tim May. He's too good at his job. I told him he needs to retire, and so he is going to retire. Um, let's get into a couple more of your questions from today. 17 questions, new for the Daily Rose Bowl podcast. Where is your partner? Slicho, Slicho, S-U, wait, oh, no, S-L-I-C-H-O-S-U, Bucks. Where's your partner? Stephen Means is back in Columbus. Um 
if if Ohio State was in a playoff, we'd both be there. Uh, for a Rose Bowl, I mean, it's important, but the frankly, the, the media opportunities out here are kind of limited. Um, so we decided just one on this trip instead of two. Uh, but certainly, um, Stephen will be part of our bowl coverage down the line, but he's back there covering hoops for now. So... Shelby Goldman, love the pod. How cool is it that Wyatt Davis and Chris Olave get to come home to Cali to play in the daddy? Wow. Got to help OSU continue to pull in elite West Coast players. Um, I'm going to have a story Saturday about Wyatt Davis. Just sort of, uh, I talked to his dad. His dad was at practice the other day watching his kid, which is pretty cool. You send your kid from L.A. to Ohio, and then two years later he's back in the Rose Bowl. And where Ohio State is practicing is 20 minutes from Wyatt Davis's house. So um, I don't know that Ohio State's ever going to go hardcore into California, but they'll be aware. They'll be aware where there are opportunities, right? Uh, Marcus Ball was from California. Uh, again, Chris Olave. They were looking at a quarterback in San Diego, and Ryan Day liked the receiver the quarterback was throwing to, and that's how you get Chris Olave. Uh, Wyatt Davis had an older brother who liked Ohio State, and Wyatt Davis just kind of liked Ohio State. And by the way, he's the grandson of Willie Davis, the NFL Hall of Famer, who played for a couple years with the Browns before they traded into the Packers, where he became a Hall of Famer. Nice trade by the Browns. Um, it's not worth it, right? They they went to Vegas. They did some Vegas recruiting with Tate Martell and Haskell Garrett. They were they looked at a couple other kids at Bishop Gorman in Vegas. But it's a great big country, and you only have 10 assistants, and you only have so much time, and they have all the money in the world. It's not about plane flights. It's about time and energy. And I just don't know that they're ever going to reach a point where they realize they think that California recruiting on any kind of consistent basis is the way to go. There's a lot of good players closer to Ohio. So I think they have to be open to opportunities and be ready to pounce when the Wyatt Davises and the Marcus Boss and the Chris Olaves come around. But it was a much bigger deal. We did a lot of stuff, and, and I remembered it because I talked to Nick Bosa for the first time there five years ago, Urban Meyer's first bowl game in 2013, the Orange Bowl in Fort Lauderdale. They were going into the belly of the beast, especially with Urban Meyer, that, that hey, it's Florida. Let's kind of try to put on a show and show some of these South Florida kids what Ohio State's all about. When they play in Texas in the Cotton Bowl last year, that's that's part of that, Right. Um, I just think it's less so. Um, it's a little less so with Southern California. It's just it's just the reality, and there's just I don't think there's ever going to be a world where um, expending time and resources on a regular basis in Southern California is going to make sense. But I, again, five years ago, Joey Bosa is a freshman at Ohio State. His dad and his younger brother come to Ohio State's practice, and I very specifically remember talking to Nick Bosa in the parking lot kid was a sophomore in high school and reliving this now as Nick Bosa came back to this practice like everything the Bosa said along the way came true I interviewed John Bosa the dad at that Orange Bowl and it was in the story I wrote talking about the idea of hey maybe Joey and Nick could play together uh, some year at Ohio State when Joey's a senior um, and Nick's a freshman and and when Joey was a freshman back then John said well if if Joe's there four years because I think they knew. They knew how good their kids were. Um, both of them, three years and gone. They had an NFL plan, and they chose to execute it as Ohio State. So I know there's some people who may be frustrated with Nick Bosa, but you know what? That's This is how the Bosas were going to do it. And they could either do it somewhere else, or they could do it at Ohio State. 
Um, this was a family that understood the realities of the NFL better than most families because John Bosa was a first-round NFL draft pick, because they came from a big-time program at St. Thomas Aquinas where Chris Carter was a volunteer assistant coach, because Eric Kumro is their uncle, is the brother of their mom. They have NFL bloodlines, but they also have NFL smarts. So this is what the Boses were going to do. This is what you were going to get out of the Boses. Do you want it? Or do you want it somewhere else? Do you want it at Georgia or Florida or Alabama or Michigan? I say you take it. This is a good question. Peter Rudy at Mansfield U 2004. Who do you think the next young linebackers to emerge will be? How do you think linebackers will play against Washington? This this is part of a, an, a bigger thing that I want to get into a little bit. Because I think I wrote about some stuff this year. And here's Shaq Harrison. This is the other question. What freshmen this year do you think emerge next year? And what incoming freshmen will it can impact next year? I've written about both these things. And I want to get into this a little bit in this podcast. Because everybody likes to talk about the future. And again, we didn't talk to anybody out here to learn more about the Rose Bowl today. We'll dig in more. I hope to have a Washington beat writer on one of these daily pods. Hope to have maybe another Ohio State beat writer join me. Uh, from one of the other outlets out here on one of these daily pods. But let's look ahead because I did this story on Friday morning that I always like to do about who flashed in bowl practice. And my bigger point overall is this. I think next year there's there are no senior starters on this defense. Draymond Jones is leaving, but that might be all. I still think one of Damon Arnett and, and Kendall Sheffield will leave just because both have a choice, and odds are maybe one goes. My guess is Jordan Fuller stays. He certainly could go. My guess is Malik Harrison stays. He certainly could go. Um, but I think on a defense that had some issues this year, I think there are some very interesting young players. And I think it is possible that next year there will be some starters from this defense who are back who are not starters next year. When I did this story about freshmen, the number one name that popped up, and you can go read it at cleveland.com, we'll talk about it now, is Seven Banks. Was ranked in the 200s as a recruit last year. But Terry McLaurin, Jordan Fuller, and Greg Schiano all talked about Seven Banks right off the bat when I said who was flashed in bowl practice. Greg Schiano said this kid might be the next great Ohio State corner. Tyreek Johnson was a higher-rated recruit. He's the other corner in that class. They're both long-ranging kids from Florida, 6'1", 190 roughly. But Seven Banks is showing some ball skills. <clears throat> He's playing on some special teams. And when you hear that about Seven Banks, you know Jeffrey Okuda is going to be back and playing an important role next year. But then I wonder if the corners maybe, maybe the corners could have been better this year, right? I think they could have. Can seven banks help the corners be better next year? <coughs> we talked about the safeties in the last podcast. Linebacker. Someone asked about linebackers. Taraja Mitchell is a name that came up a lot in this bowl flashing question. Terry McLaurin said the offensive line hates going against Taraja Mitchell when he's on scout team because he's so physical. And he's so intense. Another super highly rated guy from last year's class. Doesn't that maybe make you think that Taraja Mitchell can help you next year? 
Right now, you've got Baron Browning and Tuff Borland in the middle. I still think maybe Baron Browning's best position is on the outside. I think maybe you want to go to a more a bigger linebacker rotation next year. This year, once they got into it, the only rotation they were doing was Dante Booker taking a couple series here or there for Pete Warner. But really, at the end of the year, Baron Browning, I asked about Baron Browning. Um, when did I ask about Baron Browning? I can't remember. No, I asked Greg Sheehan about Baron Browning yesterday. Um, he had some injury issues, and then he just sort of fell behind because Tuff Borland kind of got his stuff together at the end of the year. And Greg Sheano said, listen, Tuff Borland's one of the toughest, you know, best middle linebackers I've been around when you're competing with him for playing time and you have an injury and then you kind of fall behind. You can get lost a little bit. But I think there's a world where you could put Baron Browning on the outside with Pete Warner next year. You can play Taraja Mitchell with Tuff Borland on the inside. And then maybe you're you're working in somebody like Kayvon Pope, Dallas Gant out there, maybe Dallas Gant out there with Malik Harrison. Why not go to a bigger linebacker rotation next year? I think you want some of these younger guys playing. I don't think this defense, this defense only had one senior, and it's Dante Booker who didn't start. But is this defense good enough to say, okay, everybody's back, everybody keeps their job? I don't think it is. Defensive tackles, we know Draymond Jones is leaving. Greg Schiano talked a lot about, again, what freshman, what freshman, what freshman. Greg Schiano said the freshman defensive line are as prepared as any group he's seen. Everybody's talking about these guys. Tyreek Smith, Tyler Friday, Tommy Togiai. Jonathan Cooper's been a solid player, but are you telling me that you aren't going to work in Tyler Friday and Tyreek Smith more next year? You have Davon Hamilton and B.B. Landers and some other guys at tackle. Are you telling me you're not going to work Tommy Togiai in there, Teron Vincent in there? More often, I forgot Teron Vincent. I wrote about Teron Vincent during our 20-question series at Cleveland.com. Listen, I think there are guys in the 17 and 18 recruiting classes defensively that need to find their way on the field next year because you can't tell me that this defense is going to give up more points and more yards than any defense in Ohio State history. They're all back. I remember a Purdue coach a long time ago. I think it was Danny Hope. Someone was saying about, hey, you have all these returning starters back. And he said, yeah, but that's not necessarily a good thing, right? You need good returning starters back. And I'm not taking shots at any individual defensive players. I'm saying, was that the level of an Ohio State defense? And if it wasn't, why would all those starters just keep their jobs? Especially in a world where you have a new head coach and maybe a new defensive coordinator. I think jobs are going to be open. And I think they need to be open to rotation. And I think they need to be open to get the best guy on the field, which I think they did not do a great job of at times this year. We all know we're talking about Brendan White not getting out there sooner. Um, They found Teron Vincent late in the year, gave him a role in third down packages. Just watch for this, right? I just think, think, I think there are guys who deserve a shot. Shaq Harrison. Always good questions. At Harrison Shaq. Do you think next year DeMario is the H-back for the second running back? I feel like Jalen Gill is a fit for the H-back role. Thoughts? So I looked at my pal Bill Landis the other day. We were at Lowry's for the beef bowl last night. They ate beef. And they walked a little red carpet. Walking into this Hollywood, not Hollywood, Beverly Hills. I get Hollywood and Beverly Hills mixed up sometimes. 
I don't know how fancy Beverly Hills is. I think Beverly Hills just lives on the Beverly Hillbillies. Is it that fancy? I guess Beverly Hills 90210. But that was a long time ago, too. Is it really that fancy? I went to a drugstore across the street from Lowry's to buy the cough drops I'm sucking on right now. It didn't seem that fancy. It was a nice drugstore. It wasn't a Beverly Hills quality drugstore. So they're walking a red carpet. There's chefs and waitresses. There's a high school band playing there, and all the chefs and waitresses are clapping for football players to come eat meat. Come eat meat. Come eat meat. I don't know. Bowls, right? And we look, and walking up the red carpet is K.J. Hill. K to the M.F.J. Hill. Go read that story. Google K.M.F.J. Hill, and you'll find it if you haven't read that yet. K to the M.F.J. Hill is walking up the red carpet. It's like 4.30. Not that bright. K.J. Hill's wearing sunglasses, kind of walking by himself. And Bill Anderson and I just looked at each other and said, he's going to the NFL. It was a red carpet sunglasses walk of an NFL guy. So we don't know that. We have a couple guys. When we have this team day, actually, we get K.J. Hill tomorrow with the offensive players. So we'll ask K.J. Hill about his NFL plans. And then when we have the team day, we'll try to dig in a little bit more. It's hard to get guys. I mean, you know, they're not going to tell you one way or the other, uh, most of them. And, they, and they, they don't have to. They need to play a game, and they can make a decision. But if K.J. Hill is back, but certainly changes the situation at H-back, if he's not... That's a very different world, right? If you're in a world, a lot of guys, again, talking about freshmen who flashed, Jalen Gill came up a lot. So for Shaq Harrison asking about DeMario and Jalen Gill, here's maybe what I think. Maybe this is what I think. And there are options. If K.J. Hill comes back, I think maybe K.J. Hill and, De- and uh, not tomorrow, restart. If K.J. Hill comes back, I think maybe K.J. Hill and Jalen Gill. Ooh. Hill and Gill, man, I want to do a story on that already, are your H-backs. <clears throat> and in that world, I think J.K. Dobbins is your number one tailback. And maybe Demario McCall is your number two tailback. If K.J. Hill is not back, now you've got some thinking to do. And then maybe you go Hill, excuse me, Gill and McCall. And maybe you just make J.K. Dobbins a workhorse. I'd be fine with that. If you want to tell me that Master Teague or somebody else is going to be the, the second back but not really get carries, kind of like how it was with Ezekiel Elliott in 15 and you want to give J.K. Dobbins 25 a game, I'm in. But I think K.J. Hill's decision will affect that. Uh, I do think Jalen Gill is going to be on the field next year, and I think Tamari McCall is going to be on the field next year. They just have to figure out how. But I do know a lot of people are saying good things about Jalen Gill, and I think Jalen Gill is the guy who fits that H-back role as Shaq Harrison suggested. Dave Fitzgerald, two at Buckeye Fitzy. Purdue, what even is that? Um, yeah. Purdue finished six and seven. You can go read it, my Nick Bosa story. Purdue finished six and seven. They, they were two and four after the win over Ohio State. Two and four. Two and four. They scored 49 in Ohio State. They averaged 30 points after that per game. They put up a big number against Wisconsin. They also scored like 10 against Minnesota. They didn't do much against Michigan State. I stood on the field that night after Ohio State lost to Purdue and said, I think Purdue can win the Big Ten West. They finished three games back in Northwestern. Northwestern won eight and one, three-way tie for second at five and four. Purdue, I don't know, it's like they gave, they gave Jeff Brom all this money and they go out and they lose by 49 or whatever it was to Auburn. Um, I don't know. 
I don't know, man. I mean, they're going to be good. But um, they had a plan that night against Ohio State, and Ohio State did not have an answer for it. That was not a, a great team. Um, it was a great – Rondell Moore is a great player. And they've had a really good recruiting class this year, one of their best recruiting classes in a long time. But uh, but Ohio State's capable of losing to some bad teams. Go Vol X, Mark, loyal follower. What is with Ohio State fans' insistence that the only reason the SEC is dominant is because they won't come up here and play us in November? I mean, I'm sure Auburn is terrified of West Lafayette. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right, Mark. And, and, but the problem is the SEC does play into it a little bit because, like, they don't do it. And I know why they do it. I mean, because it's been successful. But they won't – a lot of these teams won't play um, some of the some of the non-conference games um, against tough crossover opponents, right? Um, when when – Alabama canceled the series against Michigan State. You know that kind of that kind of bleeds into that a little bit. Let me look. Let me look at future schedules here for a couple teams. All right, Georgia has a series with right. Georgia has a Notre Dame series. That's real. Georgia will come up and play you. Um, I thought Georgia had a Big Ten series coming up. Let me look. Georgia has an Oregon series. Georgia has a UCLA series, a Texas series. They don't have, uh, they do not have a Big Ten series coming up. I thought maybe they did. They've got the Notre Dame thing. Um, let me see. Uh, let me see who else. So I mean, it's 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 one of those things. There's no reason for the SEC to change their scheduling model because their scheduling model has worked for them. But it is it is also true that they will not come up and play uh, northern teams in northern places so you only get them in in bowl games um but it 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 provides an opening for big 10 fans to say stuff like that but it's not true right so florida doesn't have anything on the books with anybody they've got miami they don't have anything with anybody up north oh i know alabama has something right because i I wrote that ohio state and alabama should schedule something i gotta ask gene smith about that that's what i want gene smith to send out before he retires, he said he's not going anywhere when I talk to him. Let's get that going, Gene. Let's get that done. Because Alabama has Texas home and home in 22 and 23, and Notre Dame home and home in 28 and 29, which is just ridiculous. Let's get Ohio State-Alabama on the schedule. But two things. It's the big. It's the SEC's fault for opening themselves up to that criticism. But the second thing is the Big, T- big Ten fans can't fall back on that stuff. You can't just fall back on, oh, the schedule. The SEC is good. The Big Ten is good, too. There are going to be some more Big Ten SEC matchup and bowls. Um, Michigan, Florida is going to matter. Uh, Penn State, Kentucky is going to matter. So the Big Ten has to go win some bowl games. Now, they have won bowl games. They've been good in bowls. Like, you know, Auburn smoked Purdue. That's not the end of the world. But bowl games matter. Um, and it, it does feel like that. The Big Ten was criticized a lot in past years when they had bad bowl records. They maybe aren't getting enough credit for their good bowl record. But Big Ten fans fall back on that SEC excuse because the SEC gives them room to do that. Michael Ice, M-A, uh, Mikhail Ice, underscore Ice. Which Buckeye has the highest chance to break out and make a name for themselves in the bowl game? Um, I think Chris Olave 
is a guy. I mean, it's like one of those things. Chris Olave was like the star of the Michigan game. And when you're asking about young guys flashing in bowl practice, his name's still coming up. And they, the people saying Chris Olave, I realize he's not really young anymore. But I think you could see the continuation, the continuation of Chris Olave. I also think this defense has a, the Ohio State defense has a chance to do some things um, to make everybody feel a little bit better. So that means there's a chance for some defensive players to flash. I would like to see Jeffrey Okuda flash. Jake Browning, the Washington quarterback. We'll get into this a little bit. This is just, it's really, it's strange. In 2016, Jake Browning, when met, when he was a sophomore quarterback, he's been a starter his whole life, four-year starter. Sophomore year, 2016, Washington makes the playoff. Jake Browning has 43 touchdowns, nine interceptions. Last year, he had 19 touchdowns and five interceptions. This year, he has 16 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. That is remarkable. His completion percentage is up. His yards per attempt are about the same. His touchdowns are way down. Um, 16 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. I think they can try to make some plays on this guy. So I, I'm going to maybe say Jeffrey Okuda as a guy who could flash. I'd like to see Jordan Fuller maybe have a great game um, to end this season after, you know, maybe it hasn't been quite as great as he would like it to be. And, I, I mean, these are some obvious guys, but, again, Chase Young has talked about that he had two ankle injuries this year, and I think he was sort of slowed in the latter half of the season, and then he came on really late. And so for Chase Young to show, like, hey, I'm an All-American candidate in 2019, I think that would matter. So give me Jeffrey Okuda trying to pick off Jake, Jake Browning. Give me Chase Young getting after it. Give me Chris Olave as a receiver. <clears throat> and then you know what? I, I, I'm going to – if Joshua Olave, Olave ends up playing at left tackle, he did pretty well when he filled in against Maryland. Maybe it may be some time to give him Josh Olabi, who has played defense and offense in his Ohio State career. They're opening the bar here in the media room. Joshua, I don't know if you think Olabi. It's Dan Lobby. It's Alibi. It's Josh Alibi. Sorry, Josh. Josh Alibi has played offense and defense in his career, has found a home now at tackle. They have a lot of tackle options, but... He's the guy. He's their second-string left tackle, no doubt about it. It's not Brandon Bowen. They're not doing anything crazy but, like, sliding Isaiah Prince over. It's not Nicholas petit Frere, (coughs) the huge recruit from last year. It's Josh Allaby. So let's watch Josh Allaby and see if Josh Allaby, as a fourth-year junior, can show that he actually is a really good offensive lineman because he certainly did his job against Maryland when he was thrown in there. All right. Let me get to some Gmail questions. This is a good one from Richie Kybers. Hey, Doug and Steven. Again, usually Steven. He's not here at the Rose Bowl. We'll have him back when I get home. We're planning to hit like a basketball podcast before the Michigan State basketball game on January 5th. I mentioned why you guys think that recruiting Ohio should be emphasized more than recruiting nationally. Steven mentioned that because Ryan Day does not have the profile that Urban, Dabo, and Saban do, he should focus more on in-state recruiting. I would agree there with that but also say that being the head coach at Ohio State in and of itself makes you a high-profile coach. It seems to me that you would want to get the best available players. So if you sign a class of 25 guys and 10 of them are from Ohio but three-star recruits, I'm not sure how that makes you better. I think your ceiling becomes Big Ten champions instead of national champions. 
That seemed to be what changed when Urban came to Ohio State. What was the difference between him and Trestle? Point taken. Point absolutely taken. We're going to end on this. However, in a group of 25 guys, not all 25 are going to play. In that group of 25 guys, you don't recruit special teamers. You don't recruit backups. But you have to have an understanding that some of those guys, probably two-thirds of those 25 guys, are not going to be starters here. So, in that world, I'm now leaning back in the chair and holding the phone. In that world, do you want your special teamers and backups to be four-star kids nationally who, if they don't make it, are going to transfer? That's what I always worry about. It's keeping guys here. It's keeping guys happy. And I do think when, as long as an emphasis for you is the Michigan game, and that's never going to change for Ohio State, an Ohio core helps you. Now, Urban Meyer recruited nationally and went 7-0. So it's not like it's hurt them. But I'm just saying I do think there is something to the Ohio core of the team when it comes to Michigan. I do think there's something to the mission of a state program, of a state university, when you are representing the state of Ohio. I think there is something to the mission that, hey, the best high school football players in the state of Ohio, if they want to go to Ohio State, Ohio State should have interest in them and should not be saying to the sixth best player in Ohio, hey, we're taking a four-star kid from Georgia over you um, because we're only taking five Ohio kids this year. And Urban Meyer has agreed with this. When they had a super small Ohio class last year, Urban Meyer said it was too small. So I've pounded this a lot. I don't think I'm on an island here, though. Ryan Day, absolutely on purpose, emphasized this. Smart coaches always appeal to the high school coaches in the state first. That is your, your core audience. You have to be able to be flexible when a state is down. You can't say we're taking 10 Ohio kids no matter what because if Ohio is a little bit down in talent that year, that's going to hurt you. But you have to be open to it. And so I just want Ohio State to be open to Ohio talent. I don't think you have to have a 50-50 split, but I also don't think a class where you have 20 out-of-state kids and five in-state kids, which is something like what they had in the 18 class, I don't think that's the right mix either. And then the other thing is, And Urban Meyer has talked about it a lot. If you're going by the ratings, when you have Ohio, which does not have spring football, often kids develop later. Often they might be not rated as high. They might come on as seniors. If you are locked up on national recruits early in the process and you don't let Ohio seniors develop and you don't give chances to these Ohio kids who don't get to play seven-on-seven in the summer, who don't get spring football like the kids in the South, You're missing out on players not only that are Ohio kids, but players that can help you. And so I think you need to have room for the Pat Elflines and the Tyvis Powells and the Darren Lees, Ohio kids who are not super highly rated, but who turned out to be really good football players. And I think they have that extra thing inside of them as an Ohio kid, but also a a decent number of those three stars, maybe the late developing three stars, it's that they were just, not that they were misjudged, it's just hard to do recruiting ratings, right? It's hard to get everybody right, but it's harder to get kids right when you see them less. So be open to those late Ohio kids because it's what you should be about to some degree. I think it helps form the heart of your program, but also there's going to be some good players in there that turn into NF. I mean, again, Darren Lee and Pat Elfline and and Tyvis Powell, go look up their recruiting rankings and then think about what they did for Ohio State. 
And there's other kids that misses, but there's national kids that miss too. So I just, I, I don't think any of us want to live in a world where you have an Ohio State football team um, that is that is bereft of Ohio talent because um, I think in the end that's not the best way to make your team. And like I've said a million times before, I don't think the best recruiting class, if you could get the top 25 players in a recruiting class, who's your recruiting class? Players ranked number one through 25 in the 247 rankings. We got all five stars. That's not your best class. A class is not just players. A class is a group. A class is positional. A class is geographical. A class has a personality. And, and a class is, is getting guys who are going to fit together to some degree. I'm not asking you to turn away five stars to take Ohio three stars. I'm asking you to not jump because they're not turning away five stars. I'm asking you to not jump on every four-star kid from out there early when there's some Ohio kids coming away that are going to help you just as much or even more. All right. That's going to do it. Uh, we appreciate the reviews. Um, oh, I said we'd give you predictions for the uh, for the bowl games. I have not thought about it at all. I know one of the reporters here really thinks Oklahoma is going to beat Alabama. Um, I would be open to a Clemson upset, but I just don't think Notre Dame's very good. And as someone pointed out in one of the questions or one of the tweets, I've been waiting for Notre Dame to lose all year, um, and they didn't lose. So, like, do I think Notre Dame's going to beat Clemson? I think Oklahoma could beat Clemson. And, and again, when we were, we, it's like we sit around, we talk about this stuff. I think it's possible Alabama and Oklahoma might be the two best teams in the playoff, kind of like in 2014 when Alabama and Ohio State were probably the two best teams in the playoff. But I don't know. Like, are you, am I, I don't know if I can predict Oklahoma over Alabama. I think it's a big line. They're both big lines, right? They're both big, big lines. Um, I think Oklahoma can stay. I think that line's 14. Like, if you tell me Alabama's going to hold Oklahoma to 20, I don't know if I believe that. So I think I might take Oklahoma and the points and think that maybe maybe it's something more like 42-35 or 38-31 Alabama wins. Um, if Tua is only at like 80%, I think that matters. I think if Tua doesn't look like himself, do you go to Jalen Hurts? I think there's some complicated things there for Nick Saban. But a lot of people are saying this is as good of an Alabama team as he's ever had. Uh, is he going to lose to an Oklahoma team that plays no defense. So I'll take Alabama to win, but give me Oklahoma with the points. And I'll take Clemson. Um, I'm just going to take, Cle- I'll take Clemson both to win and to cover. I think it's 12 just because I have no belief in Notre Dame. And, and I believe in, in going by results and Notre Dame played the schedule they played. Um, do, but do I think Notre Dame is one of the four best teams in the country? No, I don't think I think that. I think if I think Ohio State very well might beat Notre Dame. I'm not saying I, I would put Ohio State in the playoff ahead of them, but I just don't know that Notre Dame is going to rise up and beat a Clemson team um, with some really good defensive players and a, a talented young quarterback. So give me Alabama and Clemson. Um, but it's funny how you look at this sometimes. Um, I'd give Ohio State a shot against almost any of them. And that's just the world. I don't, I don't know if that means we should go to an 18 playoff. But I do think sitting here, thinking about Dwayne Haskins, um, thinking about that a lot of teams have defensive deficiencies, thinking about Draymond Jones and Chase Young, though, and what this defense can do at times with its pass rush, Um, thinking about the way the receivers have come on, thinking about guys like Brendan White and Chris Olave flashing late in the year. If you threw Ohio State in that playoff, 
I just think, even with Alabama, I think they'd have a shot. I think they'd have a shot. All right. Thank you to you guys for listening to another Buckeye Talk here from the Rose Bowl. We'll be back on Saturday with another daily Buckeye Talk. We'll have talked to players on that day, so we'll have much more to report. Um, so for now, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk.